Thursday Theology. Stay with us. Nick, what's going on? Hey, bro. Not much. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's been a cracker of a week so far, and I'm hanging in there. Good, man. Good. Man. Yeah. How are you doing? How was your preach? Yeah, good. So um, I'm, I've started a new series on sort of a refresher course on membership. Do you feel like you're floating around a little bit without Romans? Do you feel like it's it's all meaningless? <laughs> I've, I've realized life goes on, but it's not quite as rich as it used to be. <laughs> it's like, what, what happens when you've climbed Everest? You know, what do you do after that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The Marianas Trench. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. All right. So you're doing membership. Yeah. So a little refresher course in membership. So this past week, I preached on baptism and membership. Okay. So I thought it'd be good for us, uh, Theology Thursday, just to tackle a, a Baptist issue. Mm, mm, totally. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so basically what I did is I I wanted to link baptism and membership, and I thought, well, I can't tackle every single verse, so let me tackle what I think is their best verse. So I'm a credo Baptist, a believer's Baptist, yep. and I've got several Peter Baptists in my church. We love them. They're awesome brothers and sisters. We're so grateful for them. They enrich the fellowship uh, in a tremendous degree. Um, but we are firmly convinced of the Baptist position, and we I just wanted to open up how we understand the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take what I thought was the strongest verses um, or verse and mm-hmm. uh, sort of take it head on mm-hmm. and show how Baptists would read it. So I, uh, I took Acts 2, verse um, 38-39. So let me just read those, and then we can yeah. unpack it a little. So it says, uh, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let me read to 41. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Mm. So, I mean, the reason I chose that verse is those who hold to infant baptism tell us that Peter is here at the beginning of the New Covenant age, speaking naturally in the ways of the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mm -hmm. uh, the family principle of you and your children. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just as the Jew and his child were included in Israel, so the visible church um, is very similar. Mm-hmm. The believer and his child are included in the visible church. Mm. And so just as <clears throat> the Jew, the Jew, Jewish child would receive the sign of circumcision as a sign of his membership, so likewise the child of a believer should receive uh, b- baby baptism mm-hmm. as, a, as a replacement. Mm. And so basically... Um, it's stressed that because this is the earliest sermon, and this is like right at the the source of the book of Acts, yeah. this is something that you should read all the way through and assume its practice as you go through. Mm-hmm. And so the basic assumption is one of continuity as opposed to discontinuity. Yeah, yeah. 
I know that uh, if you've read, um, well, they all do this, but I, I remember reading Michael Horton's Introduction to Covenant Theology, which I used to not like, and I've actually started liking again. But one of the <laughs> one of the um, things that he does, like so, so um, you know, just uh, without shame, is the way that he cuts it off. He says, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, um, and for the promises for you and for your children." And it just stops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it classic, just, jo- classic John Murray move right there. It does, he really, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> um, you've got to keep going because that's kind of the thing that undoes the whole argument. It's just exactly. such a nerve, man. Wow. So just another aspect of the Peter Baptist argument. So what I try to do on, on uh, this last Lord's Day is really present the case, even in a very powerful way that was almost persuasive, mm-hmm. to try and help my congregation sympathize with it because, mm-hmm. you know, my earlier view of uh, Peter baptism was it's all just Roman Catholicism. Right. And, you know, that's obviously wrong. We're, we're, we're not speaking of the, the uh, sacramentalism view, the sacerdotalism view, rather. Hmm. We're talking about the covenantal view of baby baptism. Totally. Um, it's, it's a sophisticated argument. And uh, the reality is, you know, it's, it's anyone who d- dismisses it too quickly uh, it's just showing that they haven't looked into it deeply enough. I mean, it's it's uh, you've got some heavy hitters playing for that team, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I did the same thing. I remember we did a um, just a, I don't know, probably it was our theology class and uh, back when we were running those. And um, I spent like three or four weeks, I think, trying to convince everyone that Presbyterian or infant baptism, uh, infant baptism was true. <laughs> and uh, we were wrong. Yeah. And uh, just to get them to appreciate what's going on and then sort of bring it back to the Baptist position again, which I yeah. do think is really easy to do. But still, <coughs> you know, you want to you want to make sure that, you know, you're not taking it for granted, building a straw man. Definitely. So here's mm. another aspect of the argument. You know, so this is the Peter Baptist speaking to the, ba- the Credo Baptist and saying, look, if there was a change, there would have been a big fuss because the Jews who would ordinarily have included their children mm-hmm. would have all of a sudden had to change their practice. And mm-hmm. the fact that there's a big silence on this issue seems that, that it was just continued through without any comment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I took on both these aspects um, in my exegesis as I, I took a look at it. Cool. So maybe let me throw it over to you. I mean, what's your standard response you know, when it says to you and your children and yeah, uh, yeah. in that verse. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the first thing, as I was saying earlier, is just to point out that the verse doesn't end after you and your children. Uh, yeah, definitely. And for all who are for, uh, far off, uh, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So, you know, just, the, just by that chain of uh, ideas there, you've got the Gentiles included, you know. Um, you've, mm-hmm. got, you've got everyone there. And, um, and, and the principle of election making it... That, Not yeah. family, right? Right, exactly. And you know, the lead up to this has been John's bapt- John's baptism, and we can leave aside the issue for now as to whether the two coincide or not. But just just the just the basic idea that John came along, you know, in preparation for Jesus's ministry, just basically yeah. saying, "Hey, don't rely on your lineage anymore, and it's not going to be enough. And this is what you have to do: you have to individually uh, repent of your sins." So that's kind of the lead up to this. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, it's been opened up to all, and the principle of election is the thing that, that stands, not not the gene, uh, family solidarity principle. And um, and so, you know, the idea here is that, uh, y- you know, everyone, as, as we see moving along in that very text, everyone who um, repents and receives the word uh, gets added to the church, uh, and, yeah. and, the, and no one's prohibited if they will, <laughs> if they will receive the word. 
you know. Very good. Mm. So let me just uh, just want to back up and emphasize something you just said in passing. Hmm. So just coming back to the silence, why, why, if the Credo Baptists are correct, is there no protest from the Jews? Hmm. And so what I said in my sermon was this. I said, look, this issue was sorted out three and a half years earlier with the uh, ministry of John the Baptist. Hmm, totally. He came preparing the way hmm. with a message of repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, they kicked up a huge fuss at the time. But he called people who were circumcised and who were part of the covenant of Abraham a brood of vipers and emphasized the necessity of repentance. So at that point, <clears throat> on the basis of a volitional act of repentance, the children were automatically excluded. Mm-hmm. And then when Christ comes, he comes with a message of repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. The disciples take over the role of baptizing <clears throat> uh, in training, as it were. And then by the time we get to the day of Pentecost, the message is repent and be baptized. So... By this point, the whole nation has experienced a revival where a prophet, Jesus Christ himself, and even the disciples have been active mm. in a very particular way. Oh, and yeah. so, yeah, they, mm. they had worked through the issue by that point. Totally. Yeah, I mean, th- that's a, it, it's so easy to disconnect yourself from that context and just, you know, try and play games with that passage. But, you know, the reality is it's not just that there had been this direct continuity. <laughs> it had been an upset of covenantal earthquake, so to speak. I mean, you, you, you had, um, you know, just everything crumbling and falling apart and shifting and, you know, changing f- as a, a, during that that time uh, from from the old covenant to the new. I mean, this was like, this was a major thing. And uh, yeah, you're, I mean, just in the lead up to that, I mean, wow, could John the Baptist have made it any more dramatic? Definitely. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, the question still remains, William, why does he use the language of you and your children? So here's right. the text that I took. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, firstly, what's the promise being spoken of? Mm-hmm. And it's the promise of the spirit, which was prophesied in Joel 2. Okay, right, yeah. Okay, so we want to we want to put it in, in the context of what Peter is discussing. They mm-hmm. are asking the questions, what is going on? And Peter's saying, this is that which was prophesied. Right. And he refers to Joel 2. And so if you look down at Acts 2, and especially verse 17, this, this I think is the key, which helps us unlock Peter's categories in verse uh, 30, uh, 38 and 39. Mm-hmm. So verse 17 reads, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So the question is this. Peter uses the word children. So we have two choices. Either we're going to go with the Peter Baptist who bring a theological lens saying this is the language of the Abrahamic covenant. Peter is talking in terms of believers and their children. That's what he's assuming. And that's Mm -hmm. he's speaking naturally and naturally in those terms. Mm -hmm. So that's a theological assumption. It's a theological argument. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, well, my response is an exegetical argument. I'm saying that in verse 17, we have an obvious reference to sons and daughters prophesying. Mm Mm-hmm. So in answer to the question, is Peter speaking of children of believers because he's thinking in terms of the Abrahamic covenant? The answer is no, because he's thinking in terms of the promise of Joel. Okay. Yeah. So sons and daughters is the, the mental image that he has in his mind when mm-hmm. he says the words children. Mm. So that's, that's my understanding. I think maybe others have a slightly different emphasis, but I think this is what sort of strengthens it. Mm. You know, as many as the Lord our God will call. If you look down at verse 17, it says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Mm. So on the one hand, you have the universal reference, and then you also have the family reference. Mm-hmm. And so to my mind, that explains the categories that Peter is, is using. So that's an exegetical as opposed to theological. And yeah. so the question, the question I gave to my congregation is this. 
if this is true, where what do we what do we uh, accept as the stronger argument? <clears throat> a theological assumption or an exegetical explanation? Mm-hmm. And I say, look, in my conscience, I've got to go with the exegesis. Mm-hmm. You got to build it up to the theology. Exactly. Exegesis, yeah, because, ex- yeah, I mean, exegetically, we, we've removed the problem. Mm. Exegetically, we've accounted for the language. Therefore, you're no longer allowed a wrong theological assumption. Mm. Totally. I think that's great. And, and you know, even just without that, I mean, you've got a, I mean, obviously, you and your children, just in a very, I mean, if you're thinking about Genesis through to this point, you know, you're thinking of the Jewish people. You're thinking about the the covenant community. You know, so the promise is for you, the covenant community, and those who had previously not been included. In other words, it's not that your children are you know prohibited from receiving this. Yeah. The point is that everyone is on an even playing field, as it were. Um, you and your children, who were at one time privileged, as Paul later says, you know, with the with the. Uh, the promises and the the law and just just everything that they were given. Um, well, you know, the, the shocking thing about this is they're they're not anymore. You know, the, the children, uh, them, they're all really uh, the the those from far off are all in the same place. They need to respond to the word, and if they don't, then you know they're not. This promise is not for them. So it's just like you know, even if even if you do nothing more than just say what you say for the one thing for them all for everyone in that that group of three. Uh, those three um, groups that are mentioned in that verse, um, yeah. you know, they, you've got to come up with a different idea. You know, that, that's that's the thing that's always. I mean, that's exegetical as well. You know, you, you can't just leave the last part out. You know, and I've never yeah. really seen uh, anything that deals with that. I, you know, usually they just leave it out. They don't even touch it. You know, <laughs> which is like, you know, it's not even like half convincing at that level. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, I mean, uh, just two other things that I think really. Uh because, I mean, this is a key verse. It stands at the beginning of the book of Acts. It, it does set uh, the pattern. Mm-hmm. Just two other things that I think lean towards a credo as opposed to a Peter Baptist position. Um, in verse 38, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Mm. So repent. There it is. And be baptized, every one of mm. you. Mm. I mean, that's specificity right there, isn't it? And I think, if anything, you apply that to the children and you've got to change dynamic, you know? Yeah. Whereas before they might not have had to do that, you know, it would have been you and your children in the sense that your children don't need a mention on this one. But now yeah. the fact that they get a mention in light of that command, um, you know, it puts them, you know, in that in that category where they themselves personally need to respond. Yeah, and then verse 41 gives us a clarification. It says, so those who received his word... Mm. We're baptized. Yeah. And then you move on to the whole, you know, to the epistles, and you hear what Paul has to say about baptism. You know, often the, uh, you know, get kind of frustrated because often you talk to Peter Baptist and they, they end up saying, well, you know, it's, they get caught up on mode, you know, and, um, and oh, you know, we don't think that it, it represents at the core, you know, death and resurrection and, you know, it should be sprinkling and, you know, the, the, the altar and being made clean and all that sort of thing. I feel like that is all at some level a red herring because um, whether you want to call it, you know, that baptism has, we have now clean consciences that we've been made uh, clean by the blood of Christ or that we've uh, been, uh, we've, we've died and been resurrected in Christ. At the end of the day, it's all describing something that indicates that salvation has happened as a result of our response to the word. Um, yeah. and, and so at the end of the day, um, 
you know, to, to read that back, once Paul has delineated that theology, and you see this in their confessions as well, you see this in um, in the Reformed Confessions, certainly, where they apply, they talk about baptism in a way that must indicate an internal covenant of grace situation, you know, that, that they are indeed the elect and are going to, to heaven. Uh, and yet they apply that to, to infants without any, any sort of... Uh, difference there and and you know that's where they get into trouble because you know again like it only works if you indicate the things that peter is indicating here it's you individually and this lays the foundation of it all yeah, um, what was once is. national now becomes you and the lord and just like john the baptist it's just a continuation of the whole thing yeah escape this crooked and perverse generation yeah How? yes well, one of you has to be repent to be baptized totally yeah yeah it's big it's big, and then that's got to go into the household baptisms thing as well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. You can't just and I mean, with the pick household it up baptisms, it's what we do is you go verse by verse, and we show how in every single instance we can demonstrate that there was those who heard, those who understood, those who rejoiced, those who believed, those who got baptized. You know, we we, we can show the the right. active participation of all of those mm. who were responding. Totally, yeah. So it, it it is you have to. You have to assume continuity, but that, that's what often what's said. But the reality is, it's more yeah, than we're, just we're assuming. Accounting, we're accounting for the language so that we no longer assume the continuity. Yeah, it's it's one thing to assume something if you don't have a reason to to deny it, you know. Yeah. Or, but you know, this language is giving us too much. Uh, you can't yes. just assume something in you know, <laughs> leaving yourself having to like leave off the last part of certain verses. Uh, exactly. that, that's too much. Yeah. Totally. I mean, the whole it all comes around to who has the burden of proof. So the Peter Baptist would say to us, well, because of the silence, which is shouting, because mm. there's no contention over a change, therefore we assume continuity and the Baptists have the burden of proof to, to talk otherwise. Mm. Mm. So by this exegesis, I'm reversing the roles and saying, well, we can account for these categories contextually. Mm. Therefore, what gives you the right to bring in theological assumptions of continuity at this point? Totally. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing right there. Yeah, good work. So, what did what did the Presbyterian brothers in your congregation say? Oh, there we love them, and uh, they're very gracious, and they're very keen to just have the conversation. They love the Bible. They're submitted to the Scriptures. So, Amen. Yeah, it's an open, honest conversation, and you know, we're not trying to bully anyone. But uh, we just want to open up our vision of the scriptures and, you know, help people see it as we see it. Yeah. Amen. If we want them, praise God. Well, we, uh, we bully our, our pedobaptists. <laughs> 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 no, nah, I'm kidding. Uh, well, um, that's, that's a good call. Did you have anything else you wanted to add there or should we leave no, it at that? Good. All leave right, sweet. That's a nice little Thursday theology bullet on uh, baptism. Um but, uh, yeah, so if you hadn't, hadn't looked at any of that, uh, hopefully that's helpful to you to just start you off. Um, just maybe one more bu- one book recommendation for this. Nick, what do you reckon? What's the most uh, well, winsome thing you've... Um, should Babies Be Baptized by T.E. Watson. Okay. Hey, did you... I was just thinking about... Um, who was that guy, Beasley Murray? You know that liberal Baptist guy? Yeah. Did you ever read his book? It was pretty amazing. Uh, I really benefited from it. Um, the, the biggest thing I took away from it was the fact that every reference to baptism, um, automatically you should associate, because what's happened, John Murray came along with the exegesis saying that in Romans 6, the reference to baptism there is spiritual and internal baptism, which refers to salvation. Mm. 
And Beasley Murray said, no, 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 no. You've got, you got certain things that all work together. Synecdoche is the, the big yeah. word we use. Mm. And basically saying that when you see the word baptism, water baptism is connected and associated with conversion. There's no separation between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so you put things back together that ought to have always been together, which we yeah. have theolo- separated theologically, which ought not to have been separated. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right. So what was the book you mentioned again? T.E. Watson, Should Watson. Babies Be Baptized? Is it a big book, small book? I've never heard of it. Small book. It's an ex-Anglican who became a Reformed Baptist. Wow. And the, the, the basic thrust of the book is he says, look, if you're a Peter Baptist, you get told that this is the official position of the church. So what mm. he does, he just looks at every single verse and he mm-hmm. shows you how every Peter Baptist theologian disagrees on their interpretation of all the individual verses mm-hmm. and so that the harmony that they come out with at the end is a bit of a farce mm-hmm. there is no one view on peter baptism there are various views on peter baptism and they, they all differ with each other as to which verses are the stronger ones and to how to interpret the individual verses mm. so he just shows you that it's a house divided against itself mm. yeah so very totally. useful from that point of view brilliant yeah okay cool so yeah and i'm thinking there of of Books that are basically just targeting this one issue. A Baptism of Disciples Alone by um, by Classic. Fred Malone was uh, yeah, is it, yeah, yeah, Paul King Jewett. That sort of bridges more into the covenant theological rationale behind uh, why a Reformed Baptist still baptizes uh, or you know holds to a credo Baptist position. Um, so, but sometimes you don't necessarily want to get into all of that. You just want to know some, you know. So, what's the uh, the Holman book? Believers' Baptism. The Holman book. The, the blue book they've done one <laughs> it's uh it's it's an, it's a compilation oh. um, it's holman i think is the publisher okay they're a baptist uh, publisher yeah that makes sense yeah the believers baptism it's a blue book shrine is in it and a couple oh, of other that books. one right yeah oh, i think it's just called believers oh. baptism yeah i think that's yeah, it totally that's yeah good. that's good as well totally for sure um, yeah, that would be that. That's kind of what I'm thinking, actually. If you just want like a book that deals with you know individual exegesis of certain texts, not even necessarily from a reform perspective, that's often yeah. sometimes quite helpful. Um, you know, it's just not on covenant stuff because it's yeah. it comes from a doesn't come from uh, confessional Baptists. Yeah, but it's it, a lot of the exegetical work is still very good. Yeah, and then I think we'd agree with uh if you want the covenant thing and you want to understand how that leads into baptism and even just look at the baptism issue on its own paul king joe's book man it's my favorite it's gonna be my favorite excellent book. absolutely great cool so let's leave it at that um thanks nick appreciate it bro right cheers man